0: Derek Walker, I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're doing an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. And in this series, we've been interpreting Revelation as if it's a literal future history. And we're assuming that it's been written in chronological order. And in this way, we are discovering the exact sequence and timing of the events. And uh, also, avoiding creating an overcomplicated framework, which some people, when they do the book of Revelation, it gets over overcomplicated. Um, that happens, you see, when people feel free to, to mess around with the order of events that's actually given in the book to fit it into their own scheme uh, that they are trying to impose on the book. We're trying not to do that. We're trying to just see what it says in the sequence of events just as the book presents it. And we've seen that the main part of the book of Revelation from chapter 4 to 19 describes the day of the Lord or the tribulation that starts immediately after the rapture and climaxes with the second coming of Christ. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 19, John was told, write the things which you've seen, that's the vision of Christ in chapter 1, and the things which are now, that's the church age that's described in chapters 2 and 3, and the things which will take place after this, that is after the church age. The transition to the things which must take place after this takes place in chapter 4 verse 1 when John is called up into heaven and he's told, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this, after the church age. So the events that he sees in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 take place immediately after the church age, that is immediately after the rapture. And he sees in heaven the whole church glorified, represented by the 24 elders who sing of how they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from every nation. And then directly after that in Revelation 6, he sees Christ take the scroll with seven seals and Christ breaks the first six seals. And this releases the birth pain judgments on the earth that initiate the tribulation. This confirms that the day of the Lord starts on the very same day that the church age closes with the rapture and I want to major on that point first of all. The first seal immediately releases the Antichrist to rise on to centre stage and this agrees perfectly with 2 Thessalonians 2 which says that the church is now restraining the Antichrist and will do so until the church is taken out of the way in the rapture and then the Antichrist will immediately be revealed. That Event on earth, the revelation of the Antichrist, is what marks the start of the tribulation. Let's see that. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That tells us that the subject under discussion is the rapture. We ask you not to be so soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord, that is the tribulation, has already come. Then he goes on and says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the tribulation, will not come unless the departure, that's literally what it says, the departure comes first. What departure are we talking about? Well, the departure in the context is the rapture of the church. That day will not come until the rapture of the church comes first, and then the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And so immediately after the rapture, the day of the Lord begins with the revelation of the Antichrist, who is the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6-1. This is confirmed and explained in verse 6 and 7. And now you know what is restraining, the Antichrist, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. That's at the rapture. And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. And so presently the Holy Spirit through the church is restraining the manifestation of the Antichrist and he will do so until the church is taken out of the way at the rapture. And then the Antichrist will be revealed immediately after that and this marks the start of the tribulation on the earth according to Revelation 6.1. Jesus also taught that the day of the Lord begins immediately after the rapture in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. The three questions of verse 3 actually define the structure of his talk. They ask him, tell us, when will these things be? That's the destruction of the temple. And Jesus actually answered that in Luke 21. The second question is, what will be the sign of your coming? That's the second coming. And third question is, what's the sign of the end of the age or the consummation of the age, the tribulation? Now, Jesus answered question 2 in verse 6 to 31. Then he answered question 3 from verse 32 to 44. And as part of the answer to question 3, he said in verse 36, that well-known saying, but of that day and hour no one knows, only the Father in heaven. Now, he doesn't specify what day he's talking about. And therefore, he's assuming that we would know it from the context. And therefore, that day must be um, the start of the end of the age. Remember, the question was, what's the sign of the end of the age? How can we know when it's about to start? And so, he says, that day, the day he's talking about, has to be the day when the end of the age starts, the day when the tribulation starts. So when he says no one knows when the tribulation will start. In other words, he was answering question three again, which is about the end of the age, the consummation of the age, the tribulation. Although he said no one knows what day or hour when the tribulation will start, he then went immediately on to associate this day with the coming of the Son of Man in the rapture. That's Matthew 24:36. Let's read that. But of that day and hour, when the tribulation starts, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, the coming of the Son of Man in the rapture will initiate the tribulation. He says that day when the tribulation starts, he then talks about it being the day of the coming of the Son of Man which must be, as I said, the rapture. So that Jesus himself said that the rapture will initiate the tribulation. And that's confirmed by the next verses. Jesus said, As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice that he says that just as the worldwide flood fell on the very same day that all the believers disappeared into the safety of the ark, so in the same way the tribulation flood which will come upon the whole world on the same day that the believers will be taken in the rapture into the safety of Christ. Christ is our ark of salvation you see. And so He's saying that the the flood of tribulation judgment will fall on the very same day that the believers are taken to Christ in the rapture. That's confirmed in the next verses that he's talking about the rapture. He says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. This tells us, you see, that the coming of the Lord is coming for us. Your Lord is coming, you see. And uh, so he's coming for us to take us to be with him in the rapture. And whereas those who uh, don't belong to him will be left behind to go through the tribulation. Now in Luke chapter 17, Jesus makes the very same point through using the example of Lot. Let's read it from verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, drank, married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now he adds the example of, of um, Lot. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, drank, bought, sold, planted, built, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so in both cases of Noah and Lot, the main point is made that before judgment fell, the believers were removed by God first, so that they wouldn't come under the judgment. And that it was on the very same day that they were removed, that God released the judgment. The example of Noah also teaches us that just as the flood was a worldwide judgment, so the tribulation, the day of the Lord, will be a worldwide judgment. The example of Lot is also helpful because it makes it clear that the believers will be removed from the very scene of judgment rather than just preserved through the judgment. And this is also taught by the Noah example because the ark, uh, raised Noah above the waters of judgment rather than, you know, God helping him to survive somehow in a cave under the earth. But the Lot example is clearer on this point. Lot's removal from Sodom by the Lord and his angels, who came personally to extract him from Sodom before the Lord released his judgment later that same day, is a Beautiful picture of the rapture when the Lord and his angels will come for us to take us out of this world that is doomed for judgment. And he does that before he initiates the worldwide judgments of the tribulation later that same day. So again Luke uh, tells us that the rapture and the start of the tribulation happen at the same day. First Luke 17:30 confirms that the day when the believers are taken out of the world and the tribulation judgments are released is also the day of the coming of the Lord when he will be revealed. Because it says even so will it be in the day when the son of man is revealed. So it's definitely talking about the rapture and then we are removed and then the judgment falls. Thus the Lord himself will come and reveal himself to his believers and remove them from the world before he starts to pour out his Day of the Lord judgments on the very same day. Now the reason why judgment falls the same day as the removal of believers is that actually they're the only reason why judgment is being held back. When Abraham interceded for Lot, he stood on the principle that it would not be righteous for God to judge the righteous along with the wicked. In Genesis 18 it says, Far be it from you, this is Abraham speaking to God, to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, although God answered Abraham in a different way than he expected, he was successful in his intercession, for God honoured that principle of not judging the righteous with the wicked, and he did it by removing Lot first, before sending the judgment. Once the believers were, were removed, there was no longer any good reason for to delay judgment any longer. And that's why it was on the same day. Likewise, as soon as the righteous in Christ are removed in the rapture, there's no reason for God to delay his judgment um, of any longer. Um, and so he immediately releases the tribulation judgments. And that he does that by breaking open the six seals. So the rapture, in a way, can be seen as the key event that initiates the tribulation. And this agrees with Psalm 110. One, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so this means Christ is seated until it's the time when he's released by the Father to move in judgment and put his enemies under his feet. And then he will stand up from his throne. And that's when it's time for him to return in the rapture. And that means his return in the rapture is also when he starts to judge his enemies. Confirming that the tribulation starts on the day of the rapture. Finally, we want to emphasize this point, prove this point. From 1 Thessalonians 5, it, te- it says it straight. That the day of the Lord, or tribulation, starts immediately after the rapture. Jesus himself had previously compared his coming in the rapture to a thief. Um, that's in Matthew twenty-four forty-three. The thief comes suddenly to take the precious things from the house. And of course, Jesus isn't a thief because he's taking only what those who belong to him. But to the world, it will seem as if the thief had come. But for us, he doesn't come as a thief. He's the bridegroom coming for his bride. And so notice what Paul says. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that's the tribulation, so comes or starts as a thief in the night. That's the rapture. For when they, so in other words, the day of the Lord starts with the rapture. For when they in the world say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, it's going to be different for you, are not in darkness that this day, the tribulation, should overtake you as a thief. And so this confirms that Christ coming in the rapture as a thief initiates the day of the Lord. We saw that immediately after the rapture, the first six seals are opened in quick succession in Revelation 6. And then there's a period of a few months, probably, before the seventh seal is opened in Revelation 8. And that seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments. Revelation 7 tells us what's happening in this time. God will prepare uh, 144,000 missionaries from the 12 tribes of Israel, and they will spearhead the evangelism in the tribulation. And only when they're sealed and they are ready to start their ministry is the seventh seal opened in heaven, and the first angel blows his trumpet. We saw that this happens on the very same day as that the Antichrist uh, makes a covenant with Israel Um, And which initiates the start of the final seven years called Daniel's 70th week. And so a key synchronism that we've seen before is that the seventh seal and first trumpet synchronize with the start of Daniel's 70th week. And this is also the time when the two witnesses start their powerful ministry of 1260 days based at the temple. And so their ministry covers the first three and a half years, the first half of Daniel's 70th week. And they're going to announce all of the the first six trumpet judgments in advance, and that's why the world blames them uh, for tormenting everyone who live on the earth. And that's why the world celebrates their death so much. And they'll be witnessing at the temple that Jesus is the... Lamb of God, who's died for their salvation. They'll preach the world, the gospel to the world, with great miracles, and they'll be on the TV. And so they'll be seen throughout the world, and they'll be calling the world to repent and receive Christ. We saw that this ministry of the two witnesses has to be during the first half of the seventh Daniel's 70th week, because Revelation 11.4 describes them as being an integral part of the temple ministry being a light to the world, to the nations and to Israel. Halfway through this 70th week, this seven years, the Antichrist invades Jerusalem, he kills the two witnesses, he defiles the temple by putting up his abomination of desolation there, so that the temple ministry can no longer function. Uh, and then the Antichrist has dominion there in Jerusalem in the temple for the last three and a half years. So it makes no sense at all for the two witnesses to be ministering in the second half of the tribulation, as some have it. Later, we're going to see that the chronological sequencing of Revelation proves that the seventh trumpet, which is blown immediately after their death and resurrection, is in the middle of the tribulation. So their ministry, you see, must be in the first half of the 70th week. Placing it in the second half requires messing up the simple chronological order of revelation uh, creates an overcomplicated arrangement. And I mention that because that's a, a key issue, is whether the two witnesses are in the first half or the second half. Well, the ministry of the two witnesses lasts for about for 1,260 days or three and a half times which are years of 360 days, and these exactly cover the first half of the 70th week. Therefore their death brings the first half to a close, and there follows a mid-tribulation interval of 33 and a half days, in which many drastic changes take place, before the final 1260 days leading up to the second coming. And that's the time of Antichrist's world dictatorship. The start of this mid-tribulation interval when the when the two witnesses die, um, is marked by Revelation chapter 10, which is a heavenly interlude that marks a major transitional point of the tribulation. It's near the end of the time of the sixth trumpet, because that's blown uh, in Revelation 9. And it's shortly before the seventh trumpet is blown in Revelation 11. It reveals in chapter 10, what the Lord does at the start of this mid-tribulation interval, and it's written to prepare us for the seventh trumpet. And it indicates that the seventh trumpet will bring another big escalation of judgment from heaven. We'll see later that the seventh, seventh trumpet initiates the great tribulation on earth. Let's look at Revelation 10. John sees a mighty angel coming down from heaven. And from the description it's clear it's no ordinary angel. He could only be Christ himself, the angel of the Lord. He's clothed with a cloud. Uh, with, with a cloud of God's glory and a rainbow over his head. His face is shining like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. He asserts his dominion over the earth by placing his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he cries with a loud voice like a lion's roar. Let's read that. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, his face like the sun, his feet pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And this is the roar of a king, the lion of Judah, announcing imminent judgment. And in response, the seven thunders sounded. It says the seven thunders, when he cried out, the seven thunders uttered their voices. And in the Bible... Thunder is used to describe the majestic voice of God. And all other passages of Revelation that talk about thunder, it relates to the wrath of God. It says then, Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, uttered, and do not write them. And so as with the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls of wrath, You know, the seven thunders must reveal a sequence of seven judgments. But John was told not to write them down. So there are things that will happen in the tribulation that God keeps secret. Uh, A mystery of God, as it were, to be revealed only when they happen. Then it says, The angel who I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in them, so in other words, in response to God's thunderous voice commanding the judgments to fall, Christ, the angel, swore to God the Father, the creator of all things, who has the right, therefore, to bring his creation under his rule, he, he swears that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as, just as he had declared to his servants, the prophets. And so the vision reveals Christ standing in a position of dominion over the earth, ready to carry out his Father's will by exercising and enforcing his dominion, by judging his enemies and establishing God's kingdom on the earth. By swearing the earth an oath, he puts himself on the line, as it were, to guarantee that these things will be accomplished without delay. And that shows the great importance of what must happen next. He announces that in the days of the seventh trumpet, which is about to be sounded, all things that the prophets have predicted will be accomplished. And also that what God has kept hidden as a mystery, like the seven thunders, will be fully revealed by their manifestation on the earth. So whatever the mystery is, it will fit perfectly in with what's already been revealed. The reference to the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet shows that the seventh trumpet covers an extended period of time He also announces that under the seventh trumpet all things will be completed. That is the seventh trumpet will cover the whole remaining time leading up to the return of Christ. This promise that within the seventh trumpet all things must be accomplished and brought to their conclusion shows that this time of the seventh trumpet must continue till the second coming of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. Thus the seventh trumpet covers the time from the resurrection of the two witnesses at mid-tribulation to the second coming. It covers the whole time of the second half of the tribulation, known as the Great Tribulation. And it includes all the judgments of that time, including the seven bowls of wrath and the second coming. So having announced that all that the prophets have written will be fulfilled at the time of the seventh trumpet, Christ had one more piece of prophetic revelation to give through John, which would complete the biblical revelation about this time period. This was in a little book that he was holding. And just as he opened that book in Revelation 5 as to assert his dominion over the earth, so now he holds open another little book which shows how he'll exercise this dominion in the time of the seventh trumpet. And it reveals what will happen next, especially the judgments of the great tribulation. Let's read that. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. John's told to take the book, eat it, and prophesy, speak it out. And likewise, we must eat, receive. God's word, until it becomes part of us, and then, and only then, can we proclaim it. John obeys. He eats the book, and then he is told to prophesy again. And he's prophesied before. Now we must prophesy again, which is what he immediately starts to do in Revelation 11. And so the content of the little book is really Revelation 11 onwards. It was like honey in his mouth but bitter in his stomach. And so God's prophetic word tastes as sweet as honey because it reveals the glory and the grace of Christ and his ultimate triumph over evil. But it's also bitter in the stomach because it also contains bitter truths about God's judgment. It reveals his wrath, not just against fallen angels and demons, but also against mankind, unrepentant mankind. While, well, yes, we are to enjoy the sweetness of the prophetic scriptures, what they reveal about God's coming judgments on the lost should sting us into prayer and evangelism. Well, I trust you've been enjoying our series on the book of Revelation. I just wanted to make you aware that I've also taught all the way through the book of Revelation as a CD series. And here we have three CD boxes with seven or eight CDs in each of them, and it takes you all the way through the book of Revelation. So if you want some further study on that, this wonderful book, I recommend these CDs. Each, each CD box is 20 pounds, but if you get them all together, you can get a discount, all three of them, for... Uh, for fifty pounds or twenty pounds each. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services, which are every Sunday at eleven a.m. and six p.m. at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH.